got something down there under the stage there I need you to get for me. Let's give it up for Angel with his servant's heart. Yeah. Good. Thank you, sir. All right. So I got an illustration I want to start with, and we're going to move uh, in front of the pulpit here. Well, not this one. This comes next. Now, it, they did a study, actually, where they spent a, a lot of money, or relatively speaking, but I know it was government money because when I tell you what the study was, you'll, you'll agree. They hired uh, a, a room full of people to count grains of sand to determine how many grains of sand fit in one cup. Does that sound like a government project or, or what? Anyway, <laughs> so they determined that in one cup, measuring cup, grains of sand, there was 3.23 million grains of sand in one measuring cup. So in this measuring cup that I have here, there are over 3 million grains of sand. Today's message is titled, The Promise of Forever. So in order to start at least giving us some context with what forever is, because we really cannot grasp it on this side of glory, if a grain of sand represents, let's say, a hundred years, I could call it a million years, but then that would be a little hard to believe, okay? So a hundred years is a grain of sand. And I've got 3.23 million graves of sand in my hand. The Bible tells us that God has placed eternity in the human heart. Did you catch that? You see, because we don't have a beginning. I mean, we have a beginning, but we don't have an end. In other words, there is a point in time, conception, and then we live our lives, but we do not have an end. And so we have this forever principle that I want you to have a visual the whole time I'm preaching today. So uh, I'm gonna ask Angel to come up here and stand in front of the pulpit here. And uh, we've got this, Angel, is there electronics in this box right here? Maybe. Let's move to the little forward. Okay, so, so I, I, the, the, under, the understanding first is the human heart. Uh, you may not know this, but it's about the size of a fist. And so I want you to cup your hands like you're holding a human heart. And I didn't, I was unable to find and actually to scale human heart for the illustration today, but that would have been cool. Anyway, he's holding his hands. And so if God has placed eternity in our hearts, then angel, I just want you to be able to hold eternity in your hands. And so the challenge that we have here is that it is almost, well, nearly, well, no, it is completely impossible for us to even begin to grasp eternity. Here, put that in here. <laughs> just put it in the picture. Yeah, just go ahead and, there you go. <laughs> How many of you guys think angels should sweep all that up right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And I just preach while he's out here. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Here we go. I want to bless you with this. Thank you. <laughs> Guys, this is a visual. If a grain of sand is 100 years, there is many, many millions of years represented just by this pile of dirt. And yet, 
that in comparison to forever is about the size of a grain of sand in itself. That begins to make the mind boggle. But there are scriptures that we're going to see today that there is a promise of forever that was bought and paid for at the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. And when we begin to put in comparison our trials and tribulations that last weeks, months, years, even decades, the challenges that we face in this life, that begins to bring a little bit of sense to the context that when the Bible says our life is a mist, here today, gone tomorrow, when the scripture tells us that, that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, well, let me also remind all of us here today, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment and then forever. Forever is a long, long time. Now, I, I like to think that I have faith and I believe the word of the Lord for what is said and, and, and I believe when, when Jesus says he will heal and, and, and give us authority and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe all the things with all of my heart. But there's one thing, if I could be so honest, that where my faith begins to be challenged is to think of God, of not only not having an end, but also not having a beginning. I'm telling you, for whatever reason, ever since I was a, a, a child, when I think of no beginning, it's harder for me to imagine than no end. Why? Because I have a beginning. I have no end. But no matter how far back we can think, God was still there. Amen? We live in a period of time that at some point along forever, God created the world as we know it. And now our journey begins. The promise of forever, which is the promise of after the resurrection. Luke chapter 24, we see an encounter that Jesus had with his disciples. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for the opportunity we have to explore your word together. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Help us to find an eternal truth today, something that would encourage us that we do have hope in forever because of you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24 we see this passage that does something very unique, at least, in, at least in my heart. When I read it this time, I saw something that I hadn't seen before. Luke chapter 24, verse 13, the same day, that same day, Jesus, uh, two of Jesus' followers were walking to, to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And at the beginning of all of it, Adam and Eve 
fall into sin, the first to fall into sin. And God gave them a mandate, do not eat of this tree. (laughs) Eat of all the other trees in the garden, but don't eat of this one. And what did they do? They ate of the one that was forbidden. And the Bible says that as soon as they both ate of the tree, they were ashamed. And we can all relate, at least in one respect to this, that we have done things in our life that have made us feel regret and shame over the decisions that we've made. Anybody else? It's a reality that we all face. The scripture says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so Adam and Eve make a decision to sin, and then they come, uh, uh, they come to a place of shame, and then they hide from God. And the Bible said in Genesis 3, 8, that God came to them walking in the cool of the evening. And they were hiding from him. And he called out to them. First, let's look at this as a macro timeline. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all of that took place. Adam and Eve established in the garden. There was no sin. And then sin entered and they felt shame. And when that happened, God could not walk with them any longer. The relationship that God had with humanity now took on a different role, a different view, a different way, a distance even. Well, Jesus came and died upon a cross, both fully God and fully man, yet still before he was in his glorified form, his body that was going to follow the resurrection. And now we find in this walk to Emmaus, if I could be so bold, God again walking alongside humanity. I believe that we live in a time where God is actively pursuing us. We are to be open to his move, to invite him in. But I believe at the end of it all, friends, we're going to realize that God is going to not only restore it all back to its original or even better, new heaven and new earth. Behold, I have come to make all things new. It's going to be amazing. And one by one, the things that sin has robbed us from are found in the promise of forever because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's walking with us again. Reading on in this passage, it says, God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? You see, verse 17, Jesus asked what they're talking about, not because he didn't know. We see later, Peter says, you know all these things, you know all things. And in his glorified body, now Jesus takes up that mantle of knowing all again and and begins to ask questions to people whom he already knows the answer. Why, he didn't want to know the information. He wanted to hear their take on it. Amen? He wanted to hear them vocalize, verbalize, say out loud. 
Did you know that God knows your need before you even ask him? And yet he still wants you to voice that need. That even when I go to God in prayer and even when I spend my own time talking, (laughs) complaining, I may be the only one, asking, begging, interceding, God already knows what I have come to him for. He already knows what I'm going to ask for. And yet, he still listens to me. There's a lot of people that don't listen to me, but God still listens to me. Amen? Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who is both big enough and good enough to listen to all of us? And Jesus asked, what are you talking about? In verse 29, they have shared with him what has happened, and then Jesus walks them through what the Scripture says. And Jesus, in verse 29, is invited in. It says here, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on. It, it, it can't be said enough, but we find, we've, we've heard if you've been around church long enough that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, this whole idea that God won't force himself upon us, right? And it's almost as Jesus wasn't wanting to be presumptive. We see him acting as if he was going on. Why? Because there must be an invitation for Jesus to come in and have relationship with us. You with me? We have to say, God, I need you in order for God to step in. Are you with me? Are we limiting? Do we limit God? No. It is his choice to allow us to invite him in. And I believe in this moment, as he was moving on, they invited him in, and so it went from them just knowing about Jesus, about the Lord, about what the Scripture says, to knowing who he is. After they invited them in, it says, stay with us the night since it was getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. There are people in churches all across this nation, if I could be so bold to say it, that know about God, but they don't know God. And and notice that I said in churches all across this nation. Certainly, there's people not in churches all across this nation that don't know God. But there's a whole lot of people I I, I feel because of what the scripture tells me that there are so many that have knowledge of him but their hearts are far from him. And see, these followers of Jesus invited him in and when they did, they saw him for who he was. It was revealed. Uh, Another passage of scripture that we'll talk about in John chapter 21, looking at this promise of forever. John chapter 21, beginning in verse four. 
At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were about 100 yards from shore. Verse 9, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I just noticed something that I think would be for someone. And I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work out, but we're going. You ready? We'll just delete it off of the YouTube later if it's weird. <laughs> By the time they get to the shore, Jesus is there. He's already got a meal ready, fish. They're bringing in the largest catch of all of their lives, respectively, just all this fish that's came in, wealth that God blessed them with, that Jesus worked a miracle on their behalf and all of these things. And, and so they're bringing in this miraculous catch and beginning to recognize that it's the Lord. And he's already got fish and bread cooking. And my mind goes, where'd that come from? Did, did he say the one who was the voice at the beginning of it all, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And in him, all things were created and made and held together, Colossians. And so did he, as he was cooking, say, let there be fish and bread and a charcoal fire? Did he? Could he? Of course he could. But what caught my attention just now is the disciples are coming with the bounty that Jesus just gave them. And he says, hey, bring some of your fish too. <laughs> okay. And the Holy Spirit just bopped me upside the head and reminded me that not only do all good things that you have, you do, that you are gifted in come from above, but he is even extending a hand to say, hey, what I just gave you? How about you give it back to me for my glory and for the kingdom? He allows us, invites us to participate in the miracle. Jesus didn't need the fish that he just gave them, but he invited them to participate in the miracle. I'm preaching a, a totally different message now, but I'm telling you right now, when you doubt if you have anything to offer, then you need to do this. Know that, no, you have nothing to offer. But God loves you enough to give you something of value. 
and then invites you to turn back around and give it back to him for his glory. Amen? Come on, somebody needs to get that one. That's the promise of forever. Then he has this interaction with Peter. Oh, Peter. Which, by the way, if I was one of the disciples, and this knucklehead jumps off the boat after the net is full, and we're all going, ah, come on, Peter, hey, hey, where'd Peter go? Oh, he's swimming to shore. Well, of course he is. God love him. Here's how much Jesus loves me and you. He shows us in his interaction with Peter. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Poor Peter that Jesus asked him this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. The last time Peter got asked the same question three times, he cursed the last time he answered. And he cursed the very one that was asking him three, the, same three question, the same question three times. You see, he had denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus cemented an experience in Peter's mind that he was called to plant, to apostle, to preach, to heal, to be used for the glory of God. He was called to do all these things. And yet, how many of you guys know that the devil wants to remind you of your past every time you start doing great things for the Lord? And I guarantee you that the devil tried to remind Peter, you denied Christ, who are you to preach? You denied Christ, who are you to, who are you to pray? Who are you to lead? Who are you to see miracles? Peter, who are you? You denied him three times, and I, I believe that Jesus gave Peter the answer right here. I might have denied him three times, but he asked me three times, do I love him? And I said, yes, yes. Yes, and with each question, the past was canceled. One question at a time. I wanna tell you, friend, the promise of forever is that your past holds no power over your potential in Jesus Christ. The promise of forever declares that there is no more fear Number one, no more fear. The disciples lived in fear when Jesus was taken. First John chapter four tells us the solution to fear. 
1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Catch this last statement that so many people are missing today. But we can face him in confidence. Face who? Jesus. At judgment. We can face him in confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. There's a whole lot of God is love out there. And then it's immediately attached that it doesn't matter what you do because God is love. The statement God is love is true, 100%. There is no condition that God is love. And God loves us unconditionally. Yes, yes, yes. But your eternity, your forever has conditions. It has conditions. What do you mean? The scriptures tell us right here that we can face judgment without any fear if we live this world, if we live in this world like Jesus did. But let's not fool ourselves. To go before the throne of judgment and to say, yeah, but God is love. Huh. Yeah, but you never accepted my love. And my love is life-changing. Are you here today? My love will change you from the inside out. My love will be a difference from the way you lived in your past and the way you live in your future. My love is transformative. My love doesn't leave you in the ditch. It picks you up, cleans you up, and sends you out. That's the love of God. The love of God and no more fear that we, we don't have to fear to face judgment because we've accepted the love of God and we live like Jesus did when he was here upon the earth. He also gives us perfect peace, John chapter 20. The disciples are hiding away and he says, peace be with you. He gives us courage in the shadow of persecution, John chapter 15. As they're sitting at the Last Supper, Jesus is teaching them all kinds of things about the Holy Spirit, teaching them and preparing them for what they're going to face. And in John chapter 15, this passage is very, very powerful. In verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of this world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They would do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. 
They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures that they hated me without cause. He goes on to teach them who the Holy Spirit is and to encourage them to have courage for he has overcome the world and to tell them that there is courage in the shadow of persecution because Jesus went there first and because he experienced it, he can walk with us in that. John chapter 16 and 1 Peter chapter 1, we see that joy can abound in any circumstance. Put uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 up there for me. 1 Peter chapter 1, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation and we have priceless inheritance an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of, of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad, be of joy. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. There is promise today because, of, because there's a promise of forever that we can have joy no matter what the circumstance. You know the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is based on circumstance. Joy is not. Joy is something that, is, that wells up from within. Happiness is something that is a condition on what's going on around you. You, as a child of God, can walk in incredible and abundant joy no matter what is happening around you. So the question may not be, are you happy? The question is, do you have joy? No more confusion. In John chapter 15, verse 26, it says, Jesus is again sharing with his disciples, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. There's no more confusion when the Holy Spirit is allowed to move and to speak into our lives. There's a clear call in John chapter 16 that the Spirit will guide us in truth and will tell us what he has heard about Jesus he will teach us, give us wisdom, give us blessing, give us power. There's a clear call, a clear purpose in Matthew 28 as we're called to go and be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit, both local and abroad. There's a clear partnership along with Jesus Christ as he is in us and we are full of the Holy Ghost operating with that power. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. 
Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord. No more fear, no more confusion. One more thing. I don't want to get into next month's sermon series. The next month is all about the Holy Spirit. Because there are deep truths about who the Holy Spirit is in the church. Can I, can I put it to you this way? And I do believe this. That one of the diseases of the modern church is that we've forgotten who the Holy Spirit is. We've removed them completely. And it's terrible because as Jesus was teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, he was saying the Holy Spirit is this, 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 and he went through a list and we're gonna go through all of that. And every single thing that the Holy Spirit is to be to us <laughs> is missing from many modern day churches and even mainline denominations. Can I tell you this? What good is the sword without the spirit? It is the sword of the spirit. You with me? And the words of God, the word becomes alive when we see it revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit. The sword becomes that double-edged sharp sword that pierces and cuts and teaches and when we remove the Holy Spirit from the equation, not only do we remove our guidance and our comforter and our advocate and our helper, but we have become like the disciples without Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine? 12, uh, let's just take Peter for example. Can you imagine Peter going out there and saying, you know what, today I'm going to walk on water. Shoom. Not going to happen. You know what? Today, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to, Jesus is going to tell me about the cross and I'm going to say, no way. If they're taking you to the cross, I'm going too. He didn't. G Peter didn't go to the cross with Jesus. He denied him and he ran away. And then something happened in Acts chapter two. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the man that denied Christ in front of servants and soldiers stood in front of thousands to declare his name. Something happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and our lives and to fill us with power. Acts chapter 7. Here's what happens when we truly allow that to take place. Stephen, the first martyr of the church in verse 55, he had just preached in a, a phenomenal message. And they were all standing around him with stones in hand, ready to kill him. And it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, 
I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting and they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they, as they stoned him, catch this, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. His forever started right there. So what's the one more thing? Being full of the Holy Spirit allowed Stephen the opportunity to truly see Jesus. I mean, truly see Jesus. I've done quite a few funerals here lately. At least it feels that way. Yesterday during the funeral, Pastor Randy was sharing about a moment where Gene Presley, who we celebrated that life yesterday, a moment where he couldn't, he couldn't even lay still because of the pain that he was in. And as he moaned, Randy began to play the guitar and sing. And he began to notice a pattern in the moans of Precious Jean that followed the music that Randy was singing. And I believe that in those moments, right before you move from this life into forever, I saw it in my own father as he sat in his chair, sick and halfway conscious. He would sporadically put his hands in the air in worship and begin to weep. You see, I believe that like Stephen, they were beginning to catch glimpses of Jesus and what it was going to be like on the other side. Friend, I want to tell you, to be full of the Holy Spirit is to truly see Jesus. And I want to encourage you to lean in to all that God has for you. Secondly, to be full of the Holy Spirit as, as Stephen was, is to forgive as freely as Jesus taught you to. It's amazing to me that as they're killing him, he says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think I heard that before on the cross. I'm telling you, the promise of forever is within each and every one of our hearts. But we're going to miss out on it if we don't have a relationship, if we haven't invited Jesus in. We need to be transformed from doubt to faith, from fear to boldness. All of the apostles, except for John, who was banished to the Isle of Patmos, all of the apostles were martyred for their faith in different ways. Peter crucified upside down. Some were stoned, beheaded. They all had that in common. But I'm reminded of the scripture that Jesus told them that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, there cannot be new life. And that's what happened. Think about it for just a minute. Take a step back and think. Jesus had three years to pour into these disciples 
11 out of 12 passed the test and went into ministry. And our world is forever changed because of it. Amen? If he could do that with them, what can he do in your life today? It's the promise of forever. I want to remind you of this. Let's walk through this for just a second. I want to talk to you about some timeline. When does forever begin for us? So I'm standing here in 2023, and I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. So if I'm standing here and the rapture occurs, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go into heaven, and then I'm going to experience the first judgment And the judgment is of the believers where it's going to be a celebration. Hey, well done, good and faithful servant. This is awesome. You you did a great job. And it's going to be that type of thing. And, And crowns are given. And then we turn around and give those crowns back because it ain't about us. Amen. It's about what God allowed us to be used in. And then while we're in heaven, we go into uh, uh, what I call the great golden corral marriage supper of the lamb. And it's way better than golden corral. It's not even do it, doesn't even do it uh, justice. The marriage supper of the lamb. And we're there hanging out and fellowshipping. And three and a half years happen. Three and a half years. And while on earth, there's going to be incredible suffering that begins at the hand of the Antichrist. Who is revealed. You take his mark. You're unable to buy and sell. There's a one world government established, a peace treaty and so on. And at the three and a half year mark, heaven begins to unleash God's wrath upon the earth. And then we go from the tribulation to the great tribulation. While all the while the church that has been raptured is at the marriage supper of the lamb. And then we come back down at the end of those seven years during the second coming of Christ Jesus who will come on the clouds and every eye will see him. And he begins to establish his kingdom upon the earth. A thousand year reign called the millennium where he rules. We're able to come back and rule with him for a thousand years. So we have this time period during those thousand years. And during this whole time, all of the people that have not received Christ Jesus find themselves in hell in a holding place. And at the end of those thousand years, there is another great battle as Satan is released one more time briefly to fool people and to draw them away. And there's another great battle and Christ, of course, is victorious. And then it is the final judgment. This isn't the judgment for us. We've already celebrated that. This is the judgment where those will be taken out of hell and anyone that remains will be sentenced to the lake of fire for the devil and all his demons to suffer forever. And then in that end, there's a new heaven and a new earth that is created. Way better than anything we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And this is when it starts. Forever starts then. And time is no more. Forever is a long time. It's especially a long time to suffer. It's God's heart 
according to his word, that all would be saved. So much so that God put on flesh, Jesus became like us and died for us so there could be a promise of forever, of blessing. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today, Pastor Andrew, man, I'm not sure. What you just described, I don't know if if I would go up in the rapture. I don't know if I would be left here in great regret. I'm not sure what happens at the end of it all. I'm not sure how my forever begins or where I will be. If that's you today, then I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to raise your hand right where you're at. And as I close in prayer, I'm gonna include you in my prayer. So wherever you are, raise your hand and look at me right now. And I won't wait long. I wanna pray for you today. I see that hand. Yes, anybody else? I see that hand. Yes, anybody else? Quickly. I see those hands. Yes, yes, thank you. Hallelujah. Church family, because we've had precious people that have responded to this call, I'm gonna encourage you to join with me in prayer, all of us. And just repeat this simple prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. Today, I accept you, invite you, I know I need a relationship with you. Today is the day that I commit to you as my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Take my life. Make it yours. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would encourage us, that we would follow you with all of our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place once again that you would stir us, change us from the inside out. Lord, we really just desperately need a move from you today. Use this church for your glory alone to do great and mighty things. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.